Are you ready to take your message, your business, and your life to the next level? Want to learn from someone with more than a decade of experience, training tens of thousands of people from all around the world? Hi, Cliff. This is Pauline from Auckland, New Zealand. John from Calgary, Alberta. Amy Porterfield. Michael Hyatt. Dan here from Dunedin, New Zealand. Ray Edwards. Mark Mason. Mike Stelzner. Pat from Smart Passive Income. It's Darren from Melbourne, Australia. Now is the time to live the life of your dreams and do the work you feel most called to do in the World. Welcome to the Cliff Ravenscraft Show. Here's your host, Cliff That's right, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Cliff Ravenscraft Show. I hope to bring to you some encouragement to your week with some hope that you can bring incredible value to the world around you in spite of, well, what you might think is required, in spite of not doing the work that you think you have to do, as far as at the level at which you feel like you have to do it, at this level of perfection that sometimes causes us to be paralyzed. You know, I was having a conversation with a member of the Next Level Mastermind, and he was sharing that he hadn't recorded any content for his own podcast in several weeks. And he said that the reason for that was due to the fact that, well, he's just not passionate about the content that he feels that he needs to produce. He had this desire, this passion for sharing a little bit more of the personal, the mindset-related stuff, and not only the technical aspects of what it is that his podcast has been focused on. Now, as you can imagine, this is something that spoke to me because I've dealt with this over the years multiple different times about wanting to kind of change things up, make things a little bit more personal, uh, and, and talk about things that are of great passion on my mind and in my heart. And uh, well, it, it's it's been a it's been a journey. There's no doubt in my mind that for me personally, I've come to the place where I always want to create content. I always have things that I want to share. I always have things that I want to say to you guys. But I have found myself at times when it's scheduled for me to record even my own podcast, this particular podcast, where. I don't feel like what I have on my heart is up to the standard for which I feel like this show, quote unquote, should be. And who sets that standard except for me, right? And where do you where do you come up with that standard? Is it based upon some arbitrary feedback that you get from a handful of people? Is it feedback that you get from your own responses that you get when you publish episodes? Is it your own judging yourself and the work that you do and the content that you create and the level of quality of each piece of content in comparison to those others out there who are creating content? Are, are you, do I, And by the way, I'm, I'm talking to myself. I'm always asking myself, I'm evaluating, do I sometimes feel like what I'm putting out is not as good as maybe what something somebody else is doing? 
And by the way, this is, okay, I'm actually kind of messing around in my head some conversations that I've had with multiple different people. So it reminds me of a conversation I had with somebody that I did a one-on-one mentoring session with. This is somebody who had been working for months to create an online course. And this online course takes and breaks down and teaches some of the fundamental skills and some of the tactics and techniques in social media marketing that, quite frankly, are are items that she is an expert in. She is paid extremely well to get massive results for the clients that work for her. And the insights in this course are certainly valuable without any question of the doubt, uh, any question of doubt. The, the, if somebody were to purchase that course and consume that information, it could help them see a significant difference in the response to their social media practices, if you will. However, when I asked her, I said, how well has that course sold? The answer is, well, not not well because I haven't marketed it yet. And this is a course that's been complete for quite some time and yet nothing has been done to market it. And when asked why, the question is, well, I just don't think it's good enough. And when I ask, what is good enough and, and what are you comparing this to? It, when it, I mean, seriously, is it is it good enough to what was in existence from you before because you didn't have anything before and now you have a completed project, product, why not sell this? This is, I mean, there are people out there who could be benefiting from this right now, but they're not because, well, you're afraid that somebody might judge you for the fact that this isn't as good as some of the other people's materials. Now, this isn't just this one client. This is something that I personally have dealt with. This is something that I have worked with hundreds of other people. Uh, these these are the thoughts that go through hundreds of other people. And the reality is, is what's going on is when we think about our product, our completed course, our live workshop that we're going to host, our conference, our podcast episodes... We often ask ourselves, well, is this as good as what somebody can get elsewhere where so-and-so has just recently released a course, so-and-so has just recently held a conference, so-and-so has just recently done a live workshop, so-and-so just published that podcast episode, and when we look at the, the results those people have got, it's like, oh my gosh, they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars. They've got hundreds of thousands of downloads. They've got, this is, I mean, they're knocking it out of the park and the quality level of their production is off the charts and and look at the their online course and just how it's laid out and they've got an entire film production crew that helped do live the video and and my course, when I look at it, it's just, doesn't stack up against so-and-so. Here's the crazy thing. We tell ourselves all kinds of stories about what we need to live up to before we will hit publish on the marketing 
on the sales page. Send the email to ask somebody to buy. Before we'll hit the record button and record a piece of content for our podcast, we have this standard in our mind that sometimes we just set it so high that we're paralyzed. It's just not good enough. And, you know, if I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I never experienced this because I do. This podcast episode, I am recording this podcast episode on Monday, March 4th, 2019. I was supposed to have a podcast episode out this past Friday, and I had it on my list to do on Thursday, and I didn't have the amount of time necessary to outline and research the podcast episode this week at the same level that I've been doing in previous week's episodes. In fact, I've gotten to the place where each episode of this podcast, the last several episodes, I've been putting in many hours, like almost an entire day and sometimes an entire day in the pre-production, the outlining, the then recording and then editing editing of a single episode, an entire day's worth of work. Now, is it worth it? In my mind, yes, it is. But what happens on those weeks where I don't have an entire day to produce a podcast episode? When, when I've set the standard so high for myself, what happens when I don't have hours to devote to that kind of production? Well, I can tell you what happens. When I uh, refuse to lower the standard, which all of a sudden, just saying, oh my gosh, I'm going to lower my standard, that alone, I don't know about you, maybe I do know about you because I see you deal with this too, but for me, the idea of lowering my standard sounds like such a bad thing, but I think sometimes we arbitrarily set the standards too high for what we, and, and I think it has, it's not... It's not necessarily doing things without excellence. See, I think lowering our standards doesn't mean that we're not ever going to produce something that that has the quality of excellence. Sometimes, though, I think we have set our standards so high that it's not necessarily excellence that we're going after. It's perfection that we're going after. Everything has to be perfectly adhering to this standard and if it can't if it doesn't adhere to this standard that that I believe is and here's the thing it's a belief about what is necessary to bring value to the audience see I believe that I can still hold an extremely high standard of excellence to this podcast episode episode number 589 without a ton of pre-show preparation, without outlining an entire five key elements to achieving this outcome and overcoming this limiting belief. And and it's this well-thought-out, I mean, it, it, it would be a valuable chapter in a book if I were publishing a book kind of episode. What The question is, what does it take 
to add value to someone's life. And sometimes it's just showing up when people expect you to be there. Sometimes you are that voice of encouragement and hope that somebody was depending on. And when you have this arbitrary, when I have this arbitrary standard that says for me to add value to people's lives, I have to have created an entire outline and researched and I have to have everything just buttoned up. Make sure that you don't go off the the beaten path too far. Keep it short, to the point, super sweet. Deliver nothing but just bite-sized chunks of amazing value. Make sure it's fully nutritious. There's no fluff. Just deliver the facts and deliver it well with perfection, and that's how you add value to people's lives. And then I ask myself, well, how much of that is really adding value to people's lives beyond what I would typically do if I just hit report, record and shared what was on my mind? Now, I agree that there needs to be some sort of destination that I go to when I hit the record button. There needs to be some sort of information that is transferred through an online course. There needs to be some sort of valuable framework that people can learn and then apply from a workshop experience. There needs to be value. But the question is, is what is required for value to be received by the recipient, by the one who purchases your course, by the one who attends your live workshop, by the person who hits play on your podcast episode. I would argue that in most cases, if you have if you have withheld the marketing of your course or your taking the next step in the planning of your live workshop or your live conference or hitting the record button or publish button on your most recent podcast episode, in most cases, I would argue that the standard that you have set for yourself about what it would take for you to add value to someone else's life is unrealistically high. And it's not about excellence Sometimes it's about whether or not you feel like somebody's going to judge you. And let me stop talking about you. Sometimes for me, it's whether or not I'm going to be judged by someone. Gosh, Cliff, that wasn't as well prepared as what happened the last few weeks. Man, I really dug what you would what you put out in episode 588 and and 587 and 586. And and then all of a sudden I hit play on 589 and you're just going off the top of your head again. You know, it's, sometimes I'm wondering if, if, am I impressing people? And sometimes I realize that, wow, to add value to someone's life, is it really the formula of I've spent hours researching and it, and it has this polish and finish and that editing job done on it? And it's this length of an episode. Sometimes I have some weird beliefs that I have adapted and adopted to say this is what it takes for me to create the kind of content that I should be creating. And oftentimes when I get these whacked out thoughts about what it takes to add value to people's lives, I just like, it keeps me from creating the content 
on a consistent basis. And that and I want to create value on a consistent basis. When I have a course that's been completed, I want to make sure that people know that they can buy it. I'm not going to force anybody to buy anything. And you know, for those of us who are concerned about whether or not our course is as good as somebody else's course, our workshop is as good as somebody else's, our whatever, you know, the reality is is that sometimes we're following those people that we admire and we... First and foremost, I'll give you a perfect example. One person that I know was afraid to market what they had because they they saw Amy Porterfield's Digital Course Academy promotion, her webinar series uh, that promoted that, and then, of course, uh, buying the Digital Course Academy. You get in there and you see the level of quality of production. I'm talking about just video production, not even content, just video production alone. And you're just like, man, that is top-notch professional. And then you get somebody who doesn't have the budget that Amy Porterfield has today, and they think, well, well, gosh, what I have to offer is nowhere near to that. How can I even how can I even come close? And if I can't come close to that and that's available, then I certainly have nothing of value to bring to the table. And the reality is is a couple of things. Uh, one, now let me tell you, I love Amy Porterfield. She's a great friend of mine. And I actually have Digital Course Academy. I'm going through it with Stephanie. We're taking our own marketing and effort and our course creation to the next level, trying to learn from the amazing things that Amy has done. But a couple things that I know about this whole setup here and my mindset when it comes to comparing myself or anybody else comparing themselves to what Amy is doing. Number one, there's a ton of people out there who have no idea who Amy is, all right? So the, the reality is, is that, yes, Amy is very popular, she's very successful, and yes, a lot of people have purchased her course, but you know what? There are even more people who have not. They have never purchased a course from Amy Porterfield, and they will never purchase both her course and your course and, say, and then say, Hmm, let me compare the quality of the production value here between the two. Now, let's just say that somebody does purchase Amy's course and then they purchase your course. The question isn't whether or not what is your production value. The question is, is what is the value of the content, the information, the transformation that you can bring to someone? And there's this philosophy that I don't need a complicated idea to change my life. All I need is... A, an idea that I can remember and apply consistently. All I need is that one idea. If, if, if somebody was to take your course and they learned one technique, one strategy, and that one strategy alone was like light bulb moment for them, and once they implemented that, wow, that changed everything. My response rate to what I was doing before is now going through the roof, I never would have even thought it had I not done that course. And the reality is is that the results that they get from your course with the low production value that you may have compared to an Amy Porterfield in this world could be far more valuable to them than what they get out of Amy Porterfield's course. 
I would, I would propose to you that it is possible that even if this is your first course ever, and somebody was to buy your course as its first, as your first course, and then buy Amy's course, which is not her first course, by the way, and I bet you that if you go back and talk to Amy, she would tell you about her thoughts about how her first courses looked as far as production-wise, and things didn't always look the way that Amy's doing them today, so you got to start somewhere, but the reality is if somebody was to purchase your course and then also purchase Amy's course, I you'd be shocked at how people are not necessarily comparing production value and whether or not you had a video crew and the lighting was just right and that you had a professional studio backdrop and and all of this other stuff, multi-camera shoot. That's, that's not what people are looking for. They're looking for that one thing that's going to move the needle forward for them. And the chances that you're, that Amy Porterfield or anyone else is ever going to teach that one technique, tactic, or strategy, the way that you would teach it at the moment they most need it is next to nil. It, it, the, there's nobody out there that will ever share your message your way. Yeah, some people may be teaching some of the same tech tactics, some of the same techniques, but it may be the way that you teach it that all of a sudden gives them that light bulb moment that says, oh my gosh. It may be your personal story about how you had struggled with this one area, and it may be something that, you know, they've, they've heard this five times before, but it wasn't until the story that you told about your own personal experience that all of a sudden resonated deep with them that unlocked their ability to finally hear what it is that has been said multiple times, but from you, they're hearing it for the first time. They're understanding, maybe not hearing it for the first time, they're actually understanding it for the first time. And in a way, yeah, they are hearing it. Their eyes were their ears were blocked and it was something that you said that took took away the blockage and now all of a sudden it makes sense. The world needs you. I want to share something with you that I saw on Instagram today. It's from my friend April Shannon. April owns a Snap Fitness chain here. She she has a fitness club in Hebron, Kentucky. I follow her on Instagram and she posted something today, just a photo of herself and she's been working on herself incredibly hard over the past several years and and I and she motivates me and inspires me in the area of health and fitness and I and so I love following her posts. Anyway, today she posted this and uh it says this. I don't eat right because I have to be the skinniest. I don't exercise because I have to be the fastest or the fittest. I don't build a business because I have to be the wealthiest. I do it because I want to be the best me that I can because God wants it. My family deserves it, and the world is starving for it. I try to be the best version of myself I can be because feeling great, energetic, full of love, capable, and determined creates a ripple effect to all of those around me. I may not be able to change the whole world, but if I keep stepping out of my comfort zone and do a little more each day, 
I might just inspire someone to do the same. I love that. I love that. I, I may not change the whole world by this course. I may not have I may not sell hundreds of these things, but you know what? There might be five people. There might be three people, and it might just be what they need to move the needle further in their life. And sometimes all we need are those three to five or 10 people to buy our product, to show up to our workshop. Those, it might for Free the Dream, it was those 87 people who came to that first Free the Dream conference, 2018. Sometimes it's just those first few people. And you know what? You move the needle forward for them. You encourage them. You motivate them. You inspire them. And in return, it was that validation that, yes, this is something that is valuable. Wow, I may not have been able to market this confidently and effectively as maybe I should have, but you know what? Wow. This is amazing and there's a ripple effect and this is going to inspire people. And it's that that motivates you and says, I can do this. This does have value. See, the thing is, is if you never put that sales page out, if you never invite people to your workshop, if you never invite people to that conference that you want to host, you know what? If you never allow anyone to benefit from what you have felt God calling you to do, then you'll never know the value that it actually has. You know what? Your family deserves it. What is it? God wants it. Your family deserves it. And the world is starving for it. There is a, the world, and and the world is starving for it. Does that mean everybody is out there starving for what you have? What I what I see is that there are some people out there who are starving for what you have and it's only you, it's only your voice that they'll respond to. Anyway, I, you know, this, is, this has been on my heart as I've seen other people struggling and it's so funny to me because, well, these are things that, quite frankly, I typically don't struggle with, but... Sometimes I believe that sometimes I believe that God allows me to struggle with obstacles that normally don't impede my progression forward but that people in my community are currently struggling with and then just so that I can empathize with them I feel like these obstacles become my own and and in a way I get frustrated that I struggle. It's like, why? Why on earth am I not just going into the studio and recording something? I, after recording, I've recorded nearly 4,000 podcast episodes since December of 2005. I could create an excellent, highly valuable piece of content any day of the week You could give me 10 minutes and I could deliver something of value. You could give me an hour. I could deliver something of value. You could give me a three-hour radio broadcast on live radio and I could fill all three hours with value. I am 100% confident of that. But yet, on Friday, there wasn't an episode. 
Why is that? <laughs> well, I'm thankful to have dealt with it myself. I want to continue to deal with some of these things that you guys are dealing with. And to let you know that I'm not perfect, I don't have this all nailed down myself, and I just want to encourage you, the world is out there waiting for your product or service, waiting for your workshop, your online course. They're waiting for you to create that next podcast episode, that next YouTube channel video, that next email newsletter that you that people have subscribed to. There, matter of fact, some of there is one person out there right now waiting for you to ask them to buy something from you. I am convinced of that. And I could tell you stories. Let me just move on, though. I, you know, I've got just just to show you of the value that I know that could be brought to this episode, even though it's like, oh, my gosh, I need to come up with something unique, something that's my own. I need to research a problem that somebody has. I need to see what maybe some of the wisdom that other people have shared on this. But then I need to take all of that collate it all together, and then I need to come up with my own approach to how I would answer that scenario, that problem, that obstacle that people are facing, and I need to create my own specialized custom content, my advice based upon all of my research, all of my experience, what I've seen other people do, and here are my five steps to such and such and such and such, and then that's going to be valuable. But what if I just read to you some stuff from other people, like April Shannon. By the way, you can follow her on Instagram if you want. It's shannon.april.fitness, and it's shannon, C-H-A-N-I-N, dot april.fitness. Anyway, April, if you listen to this, hello. All right, so moving forward, I want to share with you about uh, a story that my friend Gina shared on Facebook today, and it is from a I guess a woman named Justina Blackwell Reeves on Facebook. She pub- she published this story on February 24th at 7.59 a.m., 2019. Anyway, she published the story. Now, she didn't attribute this story to anyone else, so I don't know if uh, Justina is the actual author of this story, but I read it this morning based upon Gina Lipsky sharing it, and... It, it had, you know, I, I, I enjoyed the story, and, and I think you'll understand why. When I read to you someone else's amazing piece of content, and I bet you that even though I didn't research this, I didn't creatively write this amazing story the way that it's written and come up with it all on my own, but if I actually just share with you that Justina Blackwell Reeves published this to her Facebook page, and I read it to you, I bet you, you will be encouraged. You'll be inspired in some way that this story, by me just reading to you, by me being an aggregator, if you will, a collator of content, uh, that this is going to add value to your life. Let me read to you this story. She said, you always hear the usual stories of pennies on the sidewalk being good luck, gifts from angels, etc." This is the first time I've ever heard this twist on the story. It gives you something to think about. Here it goes. Several years ago, a friend of mine and her husband were invited to spend the weekend at the husband's employer's home. My friend Arlene was nervous about the weekend. The boss was very wealthy, 
with a fine home on the waterway and cars costing more than her house. The first day and evening went well, and Arlene was delighted to have this rare glimpse into how the very wealthy live. The husband's employer was quite generous as a host and took them to the finest restaurants. Arlene knew she would never have the opportunity to indulge in this kind of extravagance again, so she was enjoying herself immensely. As the three of them were about to enter an exclusive restaurant that evening, the boss was walking slightly ahead of Arlene and her husband. He stopped suddenly, looking down on the pavement for a long, silent moment. Arlene wondered if she was supposed to pass him. There was nothing on the ground except for a single darkened penny that someone had dropped and a few cigarette butts. Still silent, the man reached down and picked up the penny. He held it up and smiled, then put it in his pocket as if he had found a great treasure. How absurd! What need did this man have for a single penny? Why would he even take the time to stop and pick it up? Throughout dinner, the entire scene nagged at her. Finally, she could stand it no longer. She casually mentioned that her daughter once had a coin collection, and she asked if the penny he had found had been of some value. A smile crept across the man's face as he reached into the pocket for the penny and held it out to her. She had seen many pennies before. What was the point of this? Look at it, he said. Read what it says. She read the words, United States of America. No, not that. Read further. One cent? Nope. Keep on reading. In God we trust? Yes. And? And if I trust in God... The name of God is holy, even on a coin. Whenever I find a coin, I see that inscription. It is written on every single United States coin, but we never seem to notice it. God drops a message right in front of me telling me to trust him? Who am I to pass it by? When I see a coin, I pray. I stop to see if my trust is in God at that moment. I pick up the coin as a response to God that I do trust in him. For a short time, at least, I cherish it as if it were gold. I think it is God's way of starting a conversation with me. Lucky for me, God is patient and pennies are plentiful. When I was out shopping yesterday, I found a penny on the sidewalk. I stopped and picked it up, and I realized that I had been worrying and fretting in my mind about things I cannot change. I read the words, in God we trust, and had to laugh. Yes, God, I get the message. It seems to me I've been finding an inordinate number of pennies in the last few months, but then pennies are plentiful, and God is patient. See, my friends, were you inspired by that story? I was inspired by that story when I read it this morning. It's like, wow, I I was not anticipating the message of this penny 
story, this this in God we trust. And I love this story for a couple of reasons. Number one, what a great reminder of of just asking ourselves, do I am I really trusting God in this moment? Just anytime I see a coin laying on the ground, what an opportunity for me to ask that question, a, a prompt, if you will. I, I don't know if I would go so far as to saying this this is something God placed in my way and God God is is using this as a conversational starter with me, but this is something that I know that I could I could adopt this and say, wow, uh, I, I will use this as a conversation started with God. And I, and I love the fact that this very, well, here, let me share with you some other things that I loved about it as soon as I read it this morning, why I loved it so much. Number one, I love that it's a story of a very wealthy man who lives extravagantly. <laughs> I love that. I, I love that this story depicts somebody who is extremely wealthy but certainly has not lost sight of his faith and reliance upon God. So many times in culture and in stories that we hear, wealthy people are taught that it's it's taught that the the moral of the story is that if you are a wealthy person, you must be greedy, you must have uh, got rich from taking from the poor and blah, 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 blah. And so I love that this story, it goes out of the way to not, to, not just to talk about how wealthy this man is, the the nice area that he lives in, that the the cars that are in this neighborhood are are more expensive than the home that Arlene lived in. But it it goes out of, the story goes out of its way to talk about how generous this man was as a host and not to mention the fact that this man obviously very clearly takes his faith seriously and even admits, wow, before I, I, I'm going to look at this penny, I'm going to see that inscription, but before I pick it up, by, by picking the penny up I am saying, and putting it in my pocket, I am acknowledging, yes, I now, whether I was before I put this in my pocket or before I picked it up on the ground, I, I, I'm i checking myself and, oh my gosh, I do realize I've fallen back into that old habit of trusting in myself, trusting in my own effort, trusting in my own work. But man, thank you so much, God, for allowing this penny to be in my path or this nickel, this dime, this quarter, this silver dollar. I don't know. I've never found a silver dollar on the ground. But anyway, God, if you want to just start some conversations with me with tons of silver dollars, I'm totally cool with that as well. But anyway, uh, yeah, you get the idea. I, but I love that it's a story about a wealthy man and 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 that it did not diminish this man's character by his because he has wealth. It I, I, that's that part of the story I love. I love I love the whole prompt. Uh, you know, this this is a something that I think we could all adopt if we wanted to. I'm not saying you should, but me personally, I think I'm going to no. I am choosing right now. I'm going to adopt this. And then there was one thing I did not like about this story. And it, and and I, and I want to share it with you. There is a limiting belief that is written into the story. Now, obviously I don't know if this is certainly isn't the point of the story, but let me get it, see if I can find it here. Here's here's the limiting belief. 
Arlene knew she would never have the opportunity in this to indulge in this kind of extravagance again, so she was enjoying herself immensely. Let me read that to you again. Arlene knew she would never have the opportunity to indulge in this kind of extravagance again, so she was enjoying herself immensely. That line stuck out to me. Well, first of all, who's to say that her husband's boss would never host them and and be a generous host taking them out to fine restaurants ever again? So it's crazy to think that this opportunity that existed, who's to say this wealthy man wouldn't do this once a year, twice a year, once every few years. It, it, I mean, who's to say this would not, who's to say that there wouldn't be another extremely wealthy person in their lives who would do something similar? This idea, it, it, it's not that Arlene thinking that this may never happen again. No, it states Arlene knew she would never have this opportunity to indulge in this kind of extravagance, extravagance ever again. You know what? What about this? For some people, and it could have been for Arlene, what if for Arlene and her husband, it was this opportunity that was afforded to them that all of a sudden had them think, why couldn't we be the people who could offer this kind of experience to people down the road? Wow, what an incredible gift that was to us. What an incredible experience that night out on the town, the the restaurants we went, the the, the just what an incredible experience. And it, it and and to think that this man was so generous and he wasn't the 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 you know McScrooge guy that I thought all rich people were. I wonder if it would be okay for us to pursue something similar, a, a similar lifestyle. Maybe it's not all that bad. Maybe it maybe being wealthy doesn't cause you to be an evil person and maybe us pursuing wealth is something that we could do. But see the story says that Arlene knew she would never. And when you know that you will never do something, you've actually turned that into your reality. A limiting belief, a belief as long, whatever you believe is possible or impossible, you're right. That's what Henry Ford is famous for saying. And I absolutely know this to be true. If you don't believe something is ever going to happen, you'll never take the, the effort and the chances and the risks that are associated with making that happen if in your heart you know it's never going to happen. Anyway, it, it, whole different avenue of the story, but it, but this got me to thinking, and it's not my story. I didn't write it, but all I did was I, I saw this. By the way, Gina Lipsky, you added value to my life today, and do you know how this story added value to my life today? So much so, I wrote this story. I transcribed the story I just read to you into my journal in my own handwriting, which I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a second. But let me tell you, Gina, what did Gina do today? Let me tell you, 
All that Gina did was she saw that on Facebook, and I'm going to go, let me go here to Regina Clarkin-Lipsky, and I'm going to pull up her Facebook feed, and let me just share with you all that Regina, all that Gina said, What she, po- she hit share, and she said, love this message. I always pick up pennies, but now it has even more, it, it has an even more special meaning. Now, let me tell you, that's all that Gina did. But that story blessed me today. It, it got me to thinking about how wealthy people can be extremely generous. It got me to thinking about how every time I see a coin on the ground and I go to pick it up, it can be a conversation starter. Hey, God, let me check myself. Am I putting my trust in you? Or am I trusting in my own time, effort, and energy, and, and, and all of my own resources? Am I putting all of my trust in myself, therefore carrying an undue amount of burden on my shoulders? Wow. And then to be reminded to even think clearly about, man, just be careful about those things that we absolutely state to ourselves. We know that this is never going to happen for us ever again, so we might as well. It's like, wow. I got so much value out of this story, and Gina didn't even write the story. She just hit a share button on Facebook, and I read it. And then I read it, and then I transcribed it into my journal this morning. I'm like, hmm, that, that that might make a valuable story to share in the Cliff Ravenscraft show. And here I am sharing it. And I bet, it. well, I, here's what I know. If you're listening to my voice still at this point, I would say, well, here's what, here's what I can tell you. 99.9999% of you who are still hearing my voice, you are blessed by that story. In some way, it spoke to you in some way. Maybe not the, ex- maybe, maybe it did, ex- it, maybe it spoke to you exactly the same ways that it did to me. Maybe something I shared uh, emphasized how it spoke to you, and maybe it spoke to you certain things that it I didn't I haven't even mentioned. Maybe it spoke to you in a unique way that it I, it didn't even occur to speak to me, but I know for a fact it, it spoke to you. Anyway, so okay, things here, here's what I did. I did create an outline in my journal today. I said, okay, here are some things that I could consider for the the Cliff Ravenscraft show. The story of pennies are plentiful and God is patient. There, got it. I got the post from Instagram from April Shannon, shared it. Uh, How about this one? Worst day ever poem. Have you ever heard of the worst day ever poem? This is a huge blessing that came my way today. I received this direct message on Instagram from Troy Heinrichs this morning. And he says, I thought of you today when I was reading this. And he shared with me an image of a poem written by Hani Gorkin. All right. Now, I had seen this poem at least once or twice in the past. And when I read it to you, you will probably think, oh, yeah, I've seen that before. And it's a poem that is written, and it's really weird, or it's it's a little odd where the line breaks are in the poem, where it goes from one line to the next, down to the next. But it's very intentional, and the title of the poem by Hani Gorkin is titled, Worst Day Ever? Question mark. I'm going to read to you this poem. Today was the absolute worst day ever. 
And don't even try to convince me that there's some good in every day. Because when you take a closer look, the world is a pretty evil place. Even if some goodness does shine through once in a while, satisfaction and happiness don't last. And it's not true that it's all in the mind and heart, because true happiness can be attained only if one's surroundings are good. It's not true that good exists. I'm sure that you can agree that the reality creates my attitude. It's all beyond my control. And you'll never in a million years hear me say that today was a good day. Now, that's the end of the poem. <laughs> Worst day ever, right? Now, the, at the very end, it says, now, read this from the bottom to the top. So you basically start with the bottom line and read it all the way up. So let me just read this to you. Today was a good day, and you'll never in a million years hear me say that it's all beyond my control. My attitude creates the reality. I'm sure you will agree that it's not true that good exists only if one's surroundings are good. True happiness can be attained because it is all in the mind and heart. And it is not true that satisfaction and happiness don't last. Some goodness does shine through once in a while, even if the world is a pretty evil place. Because when you take a closer look, there's something good in every day. And don't try to convince me that today was the absolute worst day ever. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Look this up. Just do a Google search for worst day ever poem. It is by Hani Gorkin. And get this, I did some research because I'm like, that's who I am. (laughs) Not because I felt like I needed to do that for the podcast episode, but I actually transcribed this poem into my journal. I just read to you, read you this out of my journal today, Uh, but I I transcribed this into there. And it's, and this Hani Gorkin is a high school student. And I found an interview where she was interviewed on NPR. Uh, Very amazing story. Uh, and and just great poem from a high school student, a young high school student. It, anyway, incredible stuff. All right, so as I look through the the t- potential topics, I, I shared that with you. And you know what? I, I could stop there. I could stop there. But you know what? I'm going to share with you a little personal story, a little bit of something, some personal insight about what's going on in my life. I like to to get into some new things. My wife and I are getting ready to host a marriage workshop, by the way. It's called the Thriving Marriage Workshop. It's ha- coming up here on April 4th, 5th, and 6th, 2019. It's here in our home, the Next Level Studio, which is a training facility that we built in our home so we could host large groups of people, up to 14 people, by the way. Anyway, if you are a married couple and you would love to take your marriage to the next level, Stephanie and I would love to invite you to come and be a part of it. It's limited, by the way, to seven people. I'm sorry, not seven people, seven couples, 14 people, but seven couples. And we already have three couples registered. So there's only room for four more couples. 
You can learn more and register right now at MindsetAnswerMan.com slash life together. MindsetAnswerMan.com slash life together. Our goal and our mission is to help all married couples do life together rather than just settling for living together, which can happen if you're not intentional about the way that you focus on your marriage and your relationship as husband and wife, above all the other things that are going on, above your career, your work, above your children, above the financial situations, above the care of elderly parents and other situations going on in life, you have to put that marriage relationship first. That's what Stephanie and I are going to be encouraging. We're going to share some... Anyway, check it out, mindsetanswerman.com slash life together. And this is all leading up to the story. So Stephanie and I are getting ready to host this marriage workshop, and we decided to go back to a marriage conference that we attended 15 years ago for the first time, and then 14 years ago for the second time. It's called A Weekend to Remember by Family Life Ministries. Anyway, they were hosting it again here recently, and we went to it just to take our own education in this area to the next level and and to be inspired to pick up some resources from the resource center that we knew that they would have there. We got a lot of materials that we, I think we spent nearly $600 in resources. A lot of those things we're going to hand out to some of the couples that are here. So it's it was an incredible time at this marriage conference. That's why we were downtown Cincinnati. And during the afternoon, during our lunch break, we knew that we were going to have lunch together, and we wanted to walk through the the mall that is in the Karoo Tower in downtown Cincinnati. The only thing that we didn't know is that the mall in the Karoo Tower was closed six years ago and completely demolished and turned into a parking garage. We didn't realize that until we got to where the entrance of the mall once was, and we saw these doors that go out to a parking garage where the mall used to be. Anyway, leading into that entrance to that space, though, there were still these like little places where shops were once there, and there was still one store, one shop that was in that that entry area that goes out to what is now the parking garage. And this store looked fascinating. It looked like it had some unique characteristics to it. Stephanie and I walk in, and it turns out that it's a store that specializes in fountain pens, writing instruments. And we talk to the guy who owns the shop, and he says, yeah, we've been here for 25 years. And I said, so you still get enough business in here to to make things work economically. He goes, well, it's because we specialize in this industry, and and the fact is is that for you to be able to find another pen shop that has the supplies that we have, that where you can come in and check out these instru- these writing instruments and and stuff like that, it, it you'd have to, we are the largest in so many hundreds of miles. The closest you could find uh, beyond here, you'd have to drive all the way to Chicago. And I'm like, wow, okay. And so I had never written in my entire life with a fountain pen before. And so he was, I mean, it's this guy obviously had a passion for fountain pens and they had one out there and and he was talking about, you know, the benefits of having a fountain pen. You know, he talked about how, 
people, you know, people started getting corporal tunnel and all this other stuff with ballpoint pens and how hard you have to press and all this other stuff. And, you know, he, he was making a great uh, introduction to the fountain pens. We weren't interested in fountain pens. That's not why we were there. We didn't even buy a fountain pen at the time. But the thing is, is after Stephanie's like, man, I, I think I might like to have a fountain pen. And you would think that we would go back down there. Cincinnati, believe it or not, is is not far from our home, but to go down there is not convenient. And I, I was like, man, I, it would be kind of nice to have a fountain pen. And so I wondered if you could find fountain pens on Amazon. <laughs> and so I found a fountain pen on Amazon, this company called Dr- Dryden Designs. And so I I order one for myself and I order one for Stephanie and and got these ink cartridges and and turns out we got this thing what's called a medium nib and it works it was it was nice but the problem is is the ink flowed too fast and all this other stuff and so I'm like ah, you know that that's it, it I can't write as neatly as I would like to write and so I ordered myself a fine tip nib pen from Dryden Designs. And Stephanie wanted all black ink because she feels like you should never write in any ink other than black. And so she got black and I wasn't so crazy. I, I kind of like blue ink myself. And so I was doing some research and I found this royal blue ink by Mont Blanc, these cartridges that you can put into your fountain pen. And so I ordered that and I'm like, I really like this. So I, I bought myself some stationery so I could write letters to people, handwritten letters it's like I, I haven't done handwritten stuff in a long time. And I used to write in journals a lot. I used to have a fancy pen. I used to have these fancy leather notebook or these leather journals that I would write in. And I got out of journal writing in a physical journal years and years ago when Stephanie and I went out to celebrate our anniversary and we were going to talk about our goals for the next year. And I accidentally left my journal uh, that had an entire year and a half's worth of uh, very personal written stuff inside of it, and somebody picked it up out of the bathroom that I where I had left it, unfortunately. And when I realized that I didn't have my journal with me, where I had set it down on the sink uh, in the bathroom, I went back and it was gone. So. Ever since then, I'm like, okay, I don't know that I ever want to just put all of my thoughts into a physical journal that I might leave somewhere. And so I got out of the habit of writing in a journal, but I forgot how enjoyable it is. And I, I do love to journal. I love to write down notes physically. Uh, I There are some studies out there that talk about the fact that you're 40% more likely to do things that to achieve the goals that you write down physically. Uh, there's things like I just noticed there's no doubt in my mind when I was reading to you some of the things that I read to you here today from my journal, I read them more fluently because I took the time not just to read them before and to per- peruse them, but I actually looked at the screen on my phone and I'm writing down, and I'm transcribing word for word. And so I was very clear on exactly each of those words, how the words are emphasized. And and so my reading of that content was more eloquent because I took the time to write it down. And so I, I think there's so much value in writing things down. So I get these fountain pens, 
And I'm like loving writing on this stationery and this notebooks and stuff. And I'm like, okay, this makes me want to start journaling again. So I went out to Barnes and Noble and I found the style of journals that I I like, although I found one a, a size up. So the exact journals, by the way, these journals are made by a company called Gallery Leather Company. It's called the Gallery Leather Company Incorporated. Anyway, so I found the exact journal that I like. It's If you can imagine, it's a genuine leather journal. It's embossed with the word journal on the front of it. And I found one that's called, it's a large desktop version. It's got gold leafing on the outside of it, so it's kind of nice that way. It's got ruled uh, lines in the paper, you know, so that I can go in there. It's not as thin as I might like, but it's not, certainly not any wider ruled than, you know, I don't like the really wide ruled notebooks. So um, I, I'm really digging this. And then I came back and I'm like, okay, this is the exact journal I want. And then I'm like, I wonder when I run out of this, am I, if what if Barnes & Noble doesn't have this? I wonder if these are available on Amazon. And I found Gallery Leather Company does sell these on Amazon. And not only that, but they have it in different colors. I can get it in blue leather. You know, I can get it in, I can get it in other colors as well. So... I've been journaling a lot. I've been writing a lot. I've been taking tons of notes. I've been putting my to-do lists and every, it's just like I'm physically writing things like crazy and I'm enjoying it. It's, it's giving me a whole new appreciation for writing and I absolutely love my royal blue ink inside of my Dryden Designs fine nib tip fountain pen very cool stuff. And, you know, some of the things that I see normally on on Instagram and on Facebook and these quotes and sometimes I was like, oh, that's neat. And I might screenshot it and put it in my phone and never think of it again. But, you know, it because I am in the practice now of physically writing and journaling things, when I see quotes, I like to go and write them in here. And so there's so much value for me in writing things down i the, just the fact that i have this new pen this new writing instrument new it's just something new and exciting for me it's just got me more passionate and excited about doing these things so there are several reasons why i like to write it down for all of those reasons but there are some disadvantages there's no copy and paste like i i had a habit of writing everything into my good notes application and while that's all fun and, and nice, the good notes would allow me to, if I ch- chose to write down a to-do list, if I wanted to drag and drop things and, and rearrange the order of that list, it was real simple to do. You don't do that in here. Uh, the other thing is, is that my because I've spent so many years in autocorrect, my spelling isn't great. And so uh, with the iPad, if I was handwriting notes, I, I could easily use the erase tool and start over. In my notebook, I just I have I just cross out the word and rewrite it the correct way. And uh, but you know what I I do love it. And the question is as well. First of all, it's not I don't have a copy of it everywhere I go. And what happens if I lose it? That that question has popped up in my mind. What happens if I lose this notebook, this journal, if you will? And and one of the things that I'm doing is as I complete as I turn to a new page and start writing on a new page, I am numbering the pages as I go along. And I do have my iPhone, and the iPhone allows you to take great photos, and it's easy to find apps out there that you can snap an image of a page. 
It will automatically crop. You can fix the cropping of that image if you want. Uh, there are apps out there that will take a photo of a page and instantly turn it into an image. Or you can find apps out there that will instantly take the photo and cropped image and turn it into a PDF document. And so I'm thinking I'm going to create a workflow. I haven't decided what app I'm going to settle on. So far, I've just been taking, like, I've shared some notes with some friends of mine, and I use the Evernote app just to turn it into images, and it puts it in a note, and I can share those images out. But I'm, I'm one of the things that I'm going to be doing is I am going to take some time to research a few different apps that are available for me to turn it into a PDF document and create some kind of workflow where when I snap a new image of a page or two or three or four that I've just put into my journal, it will automatically store them in this area. And then maybe once a month, I'll take all of those different documents and put them into the one main document and build on it that way. If any of that made sense, then, well, you're the type of person who would care about that information. If none of that made sense, it probably wouldn't matter to you anyway. But those are the kinds of things that I've been had on my mind, and I'm absolutely certain that today's episode is extremely valuable, and I did not spend hours prepping for it. Now, I, I, I spent hours on thinking about and and transcribing and journaling and 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 researching my passion for these things but quite frankly none of those things were done in preparation because I knew I was going to put it in this podcast episode it wasn't until this morning I'm like yeah this might actually make for some great content in a podcast episode let me go ahead and record something cuz I know that I need to stop allowing myself to to be held to such a standard that that I can only live up to if I have an eight to 10 hour a day to prepare an episode. That's that's unrealistic, and I do not need to devote that much time to add a tremendous amount of value to people's lives. So thank you so much for allowing me to share with you these things, and I hope that you've been blessed. Oh, and by the way, if you're married, consider coming to the next level, or no, consider coming to the... Thriving Marriage Workshop. The Thriving Marriage Workshop. Head over to mindsetanswerman.com slash life together. Only four spots available. All right. There are three of them already sold out. Gina and Frank Lipsky are coming. Danny and Christine Mullen are coming. And Brian Bellamy, and I think his wife's name is Victoria. They're I just got his registration just today. So Anyway, those three couples are coming here. Uh, there are spots for four more, mindsetanswerman.com slash life together. By the way, if you heard Stephanie and I talk about the, the Thriving Marriage Workshop a couple weeks ago and you went to the sales page and you said $2,500, I'm sure it's worth it, but I can't afford that. We want you to know that we, are, we had uh, one couple that was absolutely, I'm on board at the $2,500 price, but we were specifically targeting two individual couples that we desperately wanted there, and we knew that the financing was a significant issue, and so as a result of that, Stephanie and I prayed about it. We decided to take the price from $2,500 for the couple all the way down to $9.99. And of course, we went back to that first couple who had already agreed to pay the $2,500. And we said, hey, I hope you don't mind, but we decided to take the price from $2,500 down to $9.99. As you can imagine, they were delighted. And the other one of the other two couples said, we are in. 
and that's awesome. And so if you went to the sales page for the Thriving Marriage Workshop previously, you saw it was $2,500 and says, ah, I can't really swing that. Well, guess what? You can. It, it's now only $9.99 for our first version of this, which is coming up on April 4th, 5th, and 6th. Again, only four spots available. If you're interested, you'll want to register as quickly as possible. It's one month away, but don't delay on registering because these spots will go. MindsetAnswerMan.com slash life together. Now, until next time, I encourage you to take everything you do, including your marriage, to the next level.